This is Career Lab with Levi and Bobak, the podcast that features fascinating pathways to success and the people who have navigated their own journeys in the ever-changing and fast-paced modern economy. I'm Bobak. Our guest this week is Rachel Gamble. The pandemic shifted schools to virtual learning. That opened a new permanent career path for this Pittsburgh native. If you've ever envisioned yourself making a career as an educator, find out if you have what it takes on this edition of Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. Welcome to Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. I'm Levi Maya in the Lighthouse Studio with Bobak Bebahanian. So many great guests. And yeah, we've got a great guest tonight. We have in a lot of a lot of different fields early on, which mm-hmm. we're which we're really excited about. Yeah, tonight's guest is uh, Rachel Gamble. Rachel is a special education teacher, an advocate for public education. Rachel graduated from the College of Charleston with a Bachelor of Science in Special Education. She has 14 years of experience in a variety of classroom environments and leadership roles. She's passionate about providing a high-quality education to a diverse population. Coming to us from Charleston, South Carolina, on the other side of the country, the low country, to, to be exact. Rachel, how are you? Hey, how are you guys? I'm doing great. We're, we're doing well. Thanks so much for, for connecting with us on Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. Uh, Rachel, I, I know you've had quite the path to where you are now. When did you first feel that interest in teaching? Um, my parents tell the story that when I was around four, I started answering the question of what you want to be when you grow up is I wanted to be a waitress or a teacher. So pretty young. <laughs> um, I always volunteered, um, even in my church, like with the younger kids. I even held my own camp for young kids when I was in fourth and fifth grade. Um, a bunch of my moms that had younger kids would come over, drop their kids off for a couple of hours, and I would do... I don't know, crafts and we would swim in my pool and we would put on a play at the end. So you're, so. you're in fourth grade, pretty much running a camp for, for quote unquote younger kids. How young are these kids if you're in fourth grade? They were like four and five around there. One was two and that was a mistake. <laughs> I remember that. Too young. Did, did you charge or was this just like free daycare for parents? It was $25 per kid for the week. Um, (laughs) And they, I think they came. That's a deal. Yeah, that's, that's a steal. (laughs) And I, of course, used my money to buy new American Girl doll accessories as any fourth grade girl would do. That's great. So you're a special education teacher now. How did you get into that specific specialty? Um, in high school, I was babysitting and nannying for a family of five, and one of the children um, had autism. And so that kind of piqued my interest because I really, he required such a different way of communicating, and he required such, like, for me to, like, really, I always was good with kids. It was kind of the easy thing. Um, and he required me to kind of challenge myself. And, um, that just kind of sparked my interest that, yeah, I've always known education was great and a good fit for me, but that it really made me more curious about how the inner workings uh, and how, you know, just 
the neurodivergent brain and how that works and how you can reach them. Was that your first experience with, with someone with special needs? And did you kind of gravitate towards, you know, wanting to help quickly? Yeah. I mean, in my family, um, ADHD is prevalent. So <laughs> I've definitely had experience even just from family members struggling um, with learning and, um, you know, my immediate family, my dad tells stories all the time. Like he obviously, he didn't have a diagnosis, you know, in the sixties, but he knew he struggled um, with reading and stuff. And he would always talk about like, you know, those teachers that like got him and were kind and that were willing to kind of do something a little different and teach a little differently and just the impact that made on him. So I think always I was interested in like the medical side of it too. Um, kind of being a detective work a little bit too. So. And then what was it like for you after high school? Kind of walk us through college and what's that like for someone who maybe, you know, is thinking about that possibly being where they want to, you know, where they want to take their studies at college. You know, what what did that look like as far as when you're in school and then when you're actually getting real world teaching experience? College, um, typically, in my experience, is that the first two years, it's just the core curriculars at a liberal arts school. And in the last two years, you are fully immersed in the education department. Um, So I spent my last two years taking classes on characteristics of different disabilities, um, teaching strategies. You spend time in the classroom every single semester, kind of increasing your amount of responsibility um, in that classroom each semester as you go. Um, I had lots of I think what's great about education programs in special ed is that you get such a variety of how to teach, not just what to teach. Um, So I think that's kind of what makes special education different and um, really unique. I think as a professional and when you're getting that college degree, you already have a lot of skills when it comes to knowledge, but it's a lot harder to know how to teach something. Um, And I think that was hugely beneficial when it comes to preparation, you know, preparation to be in front of a classroom. I have a, a little bit of experience teaching at the high school level myself. And I remember some of the most fun I had was with kids with different learning um, abilities and different, you know, obviously just everybody's good at some things and better at others than they are some, some things. So um, I remember having kids who, um, let's say they struggled with reading, but they were really good with some hands-on stuff. So giving them that opportunity to teach um, the class what they were, what their strengths were, allowed them to really boost their confidence. What other techniques can you use in um, in a, a special needs classroom to help build kids' confidence? I mean, I think that's a huge part because so many students, by the time you know, I'm. I focus really in middle school. That's where my passion is. I love middle school kids. Um, and so by the time they get to me in middle school, they've already have a pretty strong narrative of their abilities and their internal dialogue of like how they do things or how well they are. So it's a really huge challenge to constantly kind of rewrite that story about um, any difficulties they've had. I think strategies, I think the best thing that, and most teachers would tell you this, so it's not innovative necessarily, is it has to be individualized. Um, Every student needs to feel kind of connected. And so it can be as simple as it is a word problem you're going through, but you're using the student's name. You're creating a word problem that's somehow related to an interest of theirs. Um, 
I, I think the old tried and true education strategies work. Like they really do. It's just a matter of personalizing it um, and letting kids kind of guide too, especially by that middle school and high school, they can tell you, um, you know, how they learn best and kind of being willing to partner with them is super important. Can you tell us a little bit about after you finished school and your first teaching job and, and the journey to getting that and what that was like to start? Uh, so the beginning of my career, I worked with kids with emotional and behavior disabilities. Um, I worked in a special day program that was built into the public school. So kids from all over the district with the most severe behavior or emotional issues came to that school. Um, it, it was something that throughout my college time, I really had a connection with those kids. I, you know, giving them, um, kind of the behavior piece and academics and balancing the two. It, I will tell you, it was a tough couple of years. Um, it is, those kids require intensive support and I learned a lot <laughs> very quickly. Um, I, I think having really good mentors around me made a huge difference. I had some veteran teachers that were constantly, I mean, my constant cheerleaders um, that and gave me, you know, excellent advice and shared resources with me. So I wasn't having to create every single thing on my own. I also surrounded myself. I just, it turns out a lot of my best friends were teachers as well. And we kind of lead on each other um, and supported each other because the first couple of years teaching can be daunting. Do, do you remember your first official day walking in? <laughs> what was that like? I remember wearing something. It was very like business formal, like I, basically like a pantsuit. And I have these like middle school boys in my classroom. And I, I just remember feeling very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I had done my student teaching at that school. And um, so I was comfortable from the understanding that part, which a lot of people don't have that advantage. But I do remember the only thing I really remember about my first day is it being over and being exhausted. I, I just emotionally exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Um, what advice would you give someone in college who's thinking about becoming a teacher or a high schooler who's got this, you know, dream of becoming a teacher, but is daunted by some of those challenges and perspectives? I mean, I have a hard time because I really balance the like, I, I know that my family was on board with me being a teacher and they, I, I mean, I talk about it all the time. Like I, I could not have been a teacher without my mom and dad supporting me because that salary at the beginning is small. And, um, so I think if you have no support system when it comes to, just purely practical things. Um, I think it can be really hard, but um, there are ways to make teaching work for you. Find a district that has actual um, results when it comes to their teacher retention. Um, find a school, find the principals, you know, those, those leaderships roles in those schools are so important. Um, so don't give up after one bad experience. Um, Every school has a totally different culture and environment. And so don't give up right away, even though it can be, it can be tough. 
it's it, worth it. <laughs> it sounds like the tough days can be really tough. H- how great are the great days? They're the best. There's, I mean, there's nothing better than like seeing a kid who's been struggling finally understand something, or maybe even not understand it, but just to say, oh, "I got better." I, you know, that realization is so powerful and just selfishly, like it feels so good <laughs> to see that happen for yourself. So um, it's great. I, I mean, I love being a teacher. I, I've questioned being a teacher. Obviously, I think every person in any profession questions kind of what's next. Um, but I've never really been able to find a, a replacement that would give me kind of that that joy that I get from working with kids. I, I know our listeners can definitely feel your your passion how did you find yourself as a spokesperson for teachers throughout Charleston County? And you're already laughing as I yeah. ask, so I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer. Um, I, I think oftentimes teachers are afraid to speak up. They don't want to seem like they're complaining. And there's kind of, that's just never really been my personality, um, frankly. So when things started moving and 2017, um, there were some big protests happening across the country in Arizona, for example, um, in a right to work state like I'm in right now in South Carolina, it really started energizing just teachers on a local level. Um, and my principal was super supportive of me being an advocate. Um, and that gave me just the allowance to like put it out there. And, um, for some reason, um, some of the local news stations um, were really starting to question like what was happening in education, what's going on, why are teachers so dissatisfied? Um, and I was just willing. They would reach out to like our local little groups that we had on Facebook, and we would get the like, who wants to speak to a reporter? And I'm like, sure, not afraid. I'll talk to them anytime. So it kind of fell just because I wasn't afraid to talk about it, I guess. <laughs> Was there any backlash? Did you face additional challenges for taking that stand? Yeah, definitely. Um, Like I said, I had my full support of my administration at the time. um, And that was super important. I know a lot of teachers didn't, and that can create a really awful dynamic. Um, I always asked permission before I spoke. Um, I even, I mean, I always kind of, you know, I was respectful. I understand that it's, it's a tough situation when you're, saying something negative about your boss. And it was never personal. It was more about the bigger picture of education. It wasn't ever about my specific school or situation. I loved my school. Um, But there was definitely backlash. I think in general, when you start speaking out against um, systems, you're going to feel some some pushback. Do you face specific challenges um, in a virtual classroom with uh, children with special needs that you think um, either are amplified or, or, or helped by, by the virtual nature of the interaction. I've been really surprised how a lot of students benefit from the virtual. You know, when I first started kind of learning about virtual school during the pandemic, I really, I was pretty skeptical, like skeptical about how special needs students are going to be served. Um, that but it's amazing initial, how like that was my initial reaction. I was like, if yeah, if kids have how a does that work in a classroom? How are they going to you know? How does that work when they're alone at home? It's amazing how if you take out the stigma and you take out that that um, everyone's looking at me feeling that in middle school is 
intense, <laughs> how much more willing they are to try. Mm. Um, what What advice would you give to someone thinking about a career in teaching? Yeah, is there anything I would you say, that, you, oh. that you knew like when you started? <laughs> so many things. Um, <laughs> no, I think the main thing, I wish I had known um, how valuable the leadership is in a school and that when you are interviewing, yes, they're interviewing you for that position, but you really need to switch it around and your thought needs to be, no, I'm interviewing you, especially the way that the teacher shortage is, you know, you need to know what you're looking for, what kind of a job would work for you. And being a bit more assertive about those type of things during interview process, just to begin with. Um, I also wish someone had told me early on to give myself a bit more grace and leniency. I think uh, those first couple of years, you just want to be perfect and you want to be, you want to create the best experience every single day. And it, you take it personal when it doesn't go well. And so I think um, just having some grace for yourself and finding really good mentors and finding um, people that you can follow books that you can read, even if it's not like an actual person down the hallway um, that can kind of keep you, following the best practices. AI. So many people are in a panic about it. They're worried that they're going to lose their jobs. Other people say, no, it's helping me at work already. What's the short term impact? She, she of AI? got so excited. I've I never seen got, anyone so excited. Got, nobody got this excited. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, puzzled. No. Everyone was puzzled. <laughs> no. But you look excited. So I'm going to let you talk. Tell us. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think um, obviously we've got to have parameters in there. Obviously. But like, I mean, I'm the type of person I'm immediately like finding Facebook groups to join for teachers that are using chat GBT. How do I use this to make my job easier? How do I create more innovative things for students with it? It is the resource that it provides is amazing. The, like I was talking about how you can create, you, know, you need to create problems that um, personalize. You can type into chat GBT, give me a third grade reading passage focused on theme and basketball. Now you've engaged you've just, a kid who loves basketball, right? Like you've that. And Bob. I, yeah. And, can you can you email I, that to me? Actually, I'd like to do it. <laughs> like that assignment. But I could do it for every single kid. I could have something picked and it could be we're all assessing the exact same standard, but I'm individualizing it and I'm not killing myself and spending hours right. making it or finding it. So mm-hmm. I think teachers just have to like jump in. I think you can stick your head in the sand and you can get mad that kids are not going to be able to write or whatever it is. Um, the parameters part, that's not my job. It's above my pay grade. I just know how I want to use it to reach kids. And I think it's, I think if we're pushing back against it, we're going to miss out on a pretty cool opportunity to find new ways to teach. So what is the, way that we that assessment moves forward. I mean, so many teachers are concerned that if kids are using chat GPT to generate assignments, then they're not, you know, are they evaluating the computer or the student? And, you know, how do we move forward and assuage those fears of teachers who are concerned about conducting business as usual in the classroom with chat GPT as this elephant in the room? I don't know if I have the answer, but it always makes me think of my middle school math teachers that told me I wouldn't have a calculator in my pocket in life. (laughs) 
And you know what I do? I, I have it on my, I mean, I have it, a calculator. You have everywhere. seven calculators on you right now. <laughs> All the yeah. calculators. I have so backups I, <laughs> to my calculators. Every generation has a different set of skills and the skills that are going to be needed for jobs that are happening when our kids, our young kids are in their 20s, haven't been developed yet. So there are skills that we can teach kids how to utilize that technology um, correctly. And there still should be ways. I mean, you can still literally make a kid hand write things to assess them if needed. Um, and there's lots of parameters using the computers we have on how to lock down um, programs so that kids can't, you know, open a new tab and open up chat GBT. So there's, I just think it, the attitude has to shift. We have to be, we can't be afraid of new technology that really doesn't service the kids at all. Rachel, thank you so much for, for taking the time with us. I told you it would, it would fly by and I can't wait to get my, um, basketball themed assignment. (laughs) Send that to you tomorrow during work hours. (laughs) Thanks Rachel. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thank you. And, uh, thanks for being with us on this journey on this episode of Career Lab with Levi and Bobak. The show is available as an audio podcast on major platforms like Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what we're doing, visit careerlabpodcast.com to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and get notifications of new shows as soon as they drop.